All right, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the boys in the house, Jack Butcher, founder, founder of Visualize Value, Trunk fan, NASA headset wearer, and uh, Bilal Zaidi. Trunk, just to kick it off, mate, people have been loving your little cameo at the end of the last episode. If you're listening to this and haven't seen it, go to the last episode and click the YouTube link and you can go right to the end and you'll see Trung Fan in his Tesla strapped up with a seatbelt on, just smashing out content. Like, just what's been going on, Trung? You've, you've got a talent for it. So last week we were discussing the Jack Dorsey appreciation episode, but then we didn't have any moments of appreciating Jack Dorsey. So <laughs> yeah. after we had finished recording, we're like, you know, we talked amongst ourselves as we do after each episode, we do a little, you know, rehash summary. And we're like, you know what? We need to record this. So uh, Bilal, you know, any any of our listeners here, they know Bilal, you know, runs a pretty tight ship. Bilal's like, Trump, I need this tonight. Non-negotiable. I need this tonight or you're out. You don't think I can find another Vietnamese guy on the internet to replace you? I need the recording on Jack Appreciation or you're out. I'm like, oh my goodness, dude. So... I'm on the way to happy hour and I brought my laptop with me because you guys know this NASA headset, you know, the joke NASA headset has great uh, audio. I literally pulled out my laptop and I was holding it like this. So imagine, imagine you're a pedestrian walking on the sidewalk and you, you walk by some dude in his car, like parked. He's holding his laptop <laughs> with a NASA headset and he's strapped in. But uh, the response is business, bro. Dude, they know you mean business, and uh, the responses have been quite positive. I think the good thing about that is like, there's so much pressure on me to not be holding my laptop and looking like a complete knob that I am like, I need to kill it on this first take. Like, I cannot mess up this first take. So I just sit there, crushed it, and I was telling these guys that uh, I'll be uh, moving residencies soon, and we're gonna have a garage or some type of garage set up. So you might be seeing some more front seat fan. I think we're going to be seeing more front there seat fan go. content. Well, it just instead of turning the garage into a studio, <laughs> you're just going to be in the car every time. In that car, <laughs> holding the laptop. Because that energy of holding the laptop clearly worked. So we'll Always see what works. happens, man. Anyway, All right. This is how rumors start, though. Just to clarify, Trung wanted to do himself, but I do run a tight ship. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, boys, good. Lots of stuff to talk about today. We're going to... Carry on talking about some of the stuff from last episode we didn't get to, which was decentralized brands as a concept. We're going to talk about a few examples like the recent Adidas stuff. Um, they're making a play in the metaverse. Uh, Jack obviously was on the NFT train and very quickly spun up something, which we're going to show um, the Wag Me Das, which is really cool. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk a little bit about Virgil Dow, right? So we talked about um, Virgil RIP, um, and we mentioned in the last episode, but he had a doc which was talking about a Dow idea, and we're going to kind of break that down. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about 4156 punks versus funks. Uh, Jack's going to explain what that is because I don't know. And then there's um, Jack characters, NFTs, uh, Jack's been working on some stuff there. And then lastly, to wrap it up, um, Trung's going to be talking about Apple in China. So boys, let's kick off. This is going to be a deep episode. Let's start with decentralized brands. Um, look, I mean, Adidas already announced a few weeks ago their board app collaboration. L let's talk about the idea first, because Jack, I know you had some ideas on this. You did a really cool thread, um, but and you've worked in the brand space and worked with lots of brands. So 
I'll just pass it over to you. Like when you think of this, this world, um, the, the first tweet you had here was decentralized brands are harder to build, but harder to kill. What does that mean? And take it away from there. So the, uh, I think the Adidas stuff got me thinking about it, but Adidas is also like, obviously began as a centralized brand. So they have like all of this equity, every, like most people in the world know what the three stripes are. And Adidas has this like massive reputation already. And for them to turn into a decentralized brand, I don't know how realistic that is on a short time frame. Obviously, there's like stuff that they're building with 99.9% of their resources and talent that has nothing to do with the metaverse or Web3 or anything. But I think what they've done is, is like they've just jumped in the deep end with this announcement where they're partnering with um, you know, Ethereum native brands. So obviously, Board Ape. Yacht Club Pixel Vault is another one that I don't think we've talked much about on this podcast. And G Money, who is like one of the early uh, CryptoPunk supporters and like big, uh, big voice on NFT Twitter specifically. And I think what they did, and you're, you're kind of seeing people do this in a maybe in a less authentic way. Like other brands will like start to co op the language of this world, like, you know tweeting out GM or like using the acronyms from the NFT world. And then almost like perfectly, you can predict 48 hours later, they're going to do some like <laughs> NFT drop. Pepsi did it yesterday. And today it's like, here's a bunch of like NFT Pepsi cans. So it just looks like a complete cash grab. Like they've compressed it into this tiny time frame because it's a bunch of corporate meetings that have gotten it into a content plan. And then it becomes this thing, right? And it completely fades out and everyone's forgotten about it in a week. But I think Adidas has taken a very different approach to that and is engaging with other brands and partnerships, uh, making, sorry, forming partnerships with, with very native Web3 brands and communities and getting rewarded for doing so, right? Like that uh, announcement they did on Twitter, probably the, I think it was Adidas Originals that, that tweeted it out the highest engagement on a post of theirs ever probably and good and bad right because it obviously went into the the other side of twitter camp that thinks nfts are the end of civilization but a lot of uh, impressions on that thing um and then just to see like at some of these there's one guy leading it actually his name's um ben mayer white and he's like a just worked at Adidas and I think got into NFTs early and just really has like educated within and gotten the, uh, like basically gotten signed off to go and make something and has formed relationships with all of the, um, some top players in the NFT space. And then just seeing how Adidas is then interacting with like original NFT native artists as well. So they're, well, I would say playing the longer long game in NFTs, uh, but they're already a centralized brands. Decentralized brands, we talked about like nouns and um, cryptodes and these like really early nascent NFT projects that have CCO. And that's like a component, I think, that helps. What does uh, CCO mean for so anybody? Creative Commons. So it means that like you can use that IP for profit for whatever you want without fear of. Board Ape is an example, right? Mm, Board Ape has a very specific license so you can you only have rights to the very specific ape that you have okay. and all of that's been called into question because 
you know, obviously that the legal wording for that was written by the dudes that came up with this NFT project five months ago. It wasn't like they went to some big legal firm and there's been some content around like how sturdy that actually is. Like this thing transfers between owners. There's no contract, blah, blah, blah. What it comes down to under traditional law is the copyright holder is the original artist. So the LLC that they're, that they formed, um, their business under probably in a legal battle would be granted. Oh, and, and this is in the conversation in the community. Cause you are part of that community. This obviously has come up. Like if yeah. you were to do a board ape thing, you, you potentially could be sued by them. I, I mean, I think that's like at this point in time is a stretch to say that, but I think like their intent doesn't come across that way at all. Like they want it to be licensed a certain way. But again, like the, legal language that they've used could be interpreted differently than I think was. Well, there let's give an example. Let's say somebody bought a 51% of the board apes, like a big corporation, right? Like Disney did that. Right. Now they would probably be like, you know what, Ashley, this is the language wasn't super clear. We're going to play that card now. Like it'd be something like that where they might play that card. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's an interesting thing. It's also like you have ownership of the thing and you have license to do derivatives of it while you own it. And because there's no KYC in a lot of cases, like yeah. who cool owns it what, right? at like what who? point in time? Yeah. It's like, it's so early in this like environment that I think being like halfway between is maybe not as much of an advantage as you think it is rather be all in one camp or all in the other, like a, a, a nouns or a cryptos where it's like free for all, anything, no repercussions. Well, dude, you brought well, this is a fascinating uh, thought experiment. You today took a board ape, you did derivative of it, and then you sold that ape. But then now you do derivatives of your derivative, right? It's like, where does it end? Yeah, it's it's uh, like, I think it's not big enough yet to have attracted anything crazy, but we start to see like board apes being picked up by bigger and bigger brands. Like Adidas obviously bought one. There was something, little things of, was it pretty? I forgot the name. Yeah, pretty. It. It's like a UK fashion brand. Yeah, Arizona bought one. Um, yeah, there's a few a few brands that have picked them up, but they're still like hazy around what can and can't be said. Like you can't use the the name Board Ape Yacht Club. You can use the likeness of the art, right? Um, so just flimsier from a, a legal perspective and it's going to proliferate, potentially proliferate slower in the commercial context because of those restrictions. Maybe not if you like get an Adidas or whoever on board, but the idea of like a nouns or a cryptodes is like way harder to take a footing because um, maybe it doesn't have that support early on. But if it gets to critical mass, it's way harder to destroy, right? Because there's no, um, there's no opponent in the same way that like legal battles can really um, collapse the support for, for a specific thing. Um, this was on another item of the agenda, but I think this is a good like pivot over to it. So CryptoPunks, we talked about these on the podcast before, like the OG collectible, at least in most people's minds, right? For not necessarily the first, but the like most written about and the most recognized. 10,000 characters are on the Ethereum blockchain and they gave them away for free in 2017. And now these things are like 300, 400 grand a pop at Crazy. least. Crazy. Yeah, minimum. Because of like yeah. the you know the historical and cultural significance of them. And then three years down the line, there's all this cultural interest. And uh, Lava Labs, the company that made them, announced 
their partnership with some Hollywood talent agency, right? Which essentially said, like, you don't have, you don't own the ability to use this thing commercially to anybody that owns a crypto punk, right? They they don't have that baked into the agreement. Honestly, like the opposite, they could come after you if you're using it in a way that they don't, uh, you know, that they don't agree with. So this is where this whole thing bubbled up that I wanted to talk about, which is there's a really uh, influential character in the NFT Twitter sphere called Punk4156. We talked about um, we talked about his writing before and his project that he's involved in nouns DAO, right? Which is like the opposite of that thesis. Like we're going to auction something every day and everybody owns the IP. I went and sold a bunch of hats with some of the like visual IP from that project. It was celebrated by their team. And he owns a crypto punk that he paid 800 Ethereum for, I believe, earlier this year. And this is one of 24. It's like the ape style crypto punks. And I think Gary V bought one two or three months ago for 2200 Ethereum. Market has moved up significantly since then. So people are saying this thing's worth, you know, three, four, five thousand Ethereum at this point. But because of this tension between the uh, projects that are CCO licensed and not, and the project that he runs is like heavily leans into the CCO narrative. He started saying, oh, I'm kind of losing my faith in CryptoPunks as a project, even though he owns like, you know, a massive collection of them. And last week he dumped, I don't know, half a dozen of them or a dozen of them at floor price. So just got rid of them. And then his, the one that he uses as his brand that he's been, you know, putting a ton of energy into building. And it's like very recognizable. Um, today he said, I'm putting it on sale for, 4,156 Ethereum. That's the number of the punk. Everyone blows up like, oh God, this, you know, you could, you could like wait longer and, and capture more value from this thing. And then you start slicing the price. Oh my like, goodness. It didn't go in half an hour. So he went down to 3,500. Didn't go in another half an hour, went down to 3,000. So he's taken literally three, four million off the table every half an hour. And live tweeting, like people are messaging me, telling me that they could get four, four thousand Ethereum for this thing. It's a really interesting story, like capturing so much attention. Uh, and then uh, he eventually sells it. Literally, when we got on this recording, it sold for twenty five hundred Ethereum. So, what does that do to the rest of the market? We don't know yet. It's like happening right now. But the one uh, part of this story that I probably should have introduced earlier is this project called Funks, which is a a, a complete clone of the CryptoPunk project that got flipped horizontally. So they, they just copied the whole thing and flipped them horizontally. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wait, and sold them. To the right or to the left? To the le So they're flipped, they're facing left. These <laughs> ones are facing left and all other CryptoPunk and they're called Funks. So Jack, wait, this is what you just put on Twitter. Is this what you're referring to? So, so this is a different thing. Um, if you, um, I'll talk through this though, but okay. So the funks are facing left, right? And, uh, so this, but sorry, just to clarify this thing in the middle here, is that a funk? That's a funk. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the, the one that just sold for two and a half thousand Ethereum would be facing the other way. Got oh it. my so, goodness, dude. Okay. So the, the point that I should have brought up earlier is that Funks were launched and Lava Labs went after that project. So the original creators of CryptoPunks 
Oh, got it. Sent DMCA requests. Oh, so now you're seeing this tension that you're foundation. Oh, yeah, got it, people got that it. were were using punks and selling punks in different ways and like incorporating them into artwork. Lava Lads was going after some of them. The funks being one, right? I think Beeple's had punks in his work, and he's you know he hasn't attracted that kind of attention. But the funks were like Lava Labs came after that project. Interesting. So, so now there's so a I huge. Guess the, the point here is, it's Jack, real quick, just to make sure I'm understanding and following. It's the tension you're describing between like the CCA, uh, CCO license, like you saying with Nounsdow and and uh, Toads, versus like this this thing which has its own kind of set of rules, but people actually kind of enforcing it now. Yeah, and the crypto ethos, which I think you know, this is how true this is. I'm not in this guy's head, right? But he seems to me like he's operating from like some set of principles and wants to be consistent with those. And this idea of, you know, if you're going to make this thing, if you're going to make art and put it on chain and like, uh, talk about or sort of support these means of, uh, of reducing censorship and increasing the proliferation of creativity, this is kind of counter to that ethos. So like the OG crypto, mentality doesn't really gel with the hey dmca request let's take this thing yeah, down that is right? so very old cool. world. so what's happening like i mean on twitter right now is it just like yo like crypto lava, uh, was it lava lab lava lab yeah. like chill out is it is that kind of the sentiment well yeah. no there's like there's this real like the people who have like big punks bags you know as you would expect are like this is ridiculous like you're making something out of nothing and then this whole funks <laughs> project which is obviously super <laughs> cheap to get into yeah it's like, no, funks come in, they're going to flip punks, right? Historically, oh my these things goodness. now have a better story. And it's the same artwork just flipped over. So it's like the law of the space. I would rather have life. the funk, to be there honest, just for the joke. Because you're a well, rebel, you The joke. The you joke is hilarious. On the ground floor, mate. Yeah, oh, my so, good. Oh, and I dude. Think he, got, he got the 4156 uh, funk a few months ago. Like he has a flip version of it. Oh, so this part, the funk version has been going for a while now, but now it's picking up steam. Yeah, and this is, you know, part of the narrative. And that thing, that visual I did that you pulled up, Bilal, the yeah, idea is there is announced glasses are the CCO project, right? Yeah. And he's looking at it through the lens of the CCO and the reflection is shown in the glasses, which is actually the funk. Dude, this yeah. is so deep. This is like some Matrix, like Neo... <laughs> Morpheus shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. Did you just on. do that just as we started this call? Yeah, I just That's had the idea Jack. while I was thinking that, about how Trang and I were like, uh, Jack was like, I've just got this idea. I thought you were writing words yeah. and you're, you're like, no, no, no. He just, no, he's he just was getting saying, this set up. I'm writing, I'm writing down an idea, but he was drawing. He was making this graphic or whatever it is. Oh my, yo, hold That's on. I got, I got a couple of thoughts actually. So this is so interesting. And uh, the tension that you mentioned and, and you didn't mention OpenSea, right? Because the uh, Lava Labs went to OpenSea. It's like, hey, stop this project. Or finally, stop this project. But there's been a couple of things like this that uh, we've discussed amongst ourselves. And some news came out earlier this week. So I'll touch the issue that we talked about before was uh, a dude got his wallet hacked, right? And and he lost uh, the rights. Uh, he couldn't. He lost access to his NFTs. So he went to OpenSea and he's like, you got to stop selling these. Like, I've been hacked. And OpenSea actually went ahead and was like, yeah, we're going to stop the sale on this item. But then the people are like, wait, hold on a second. It's like, it's decentralized, but then 
this guy got hacked and then he mm. complained loudly enough on Twitter to OpenSea did something about it, right? Like that, that was part of, that was one example of this tension. And the other one, I'll throw it to you guys, the former CFO of Lyft, the ride hailing service, mm. just joined OpenSea. Yeah. And in his message of joining or blog post of exiting Lyft and joining OpenSea, there seemed to suggest that he wanted to help take OpenSea public, which he'd obviously done with which Lyft. Which makes sense, right? He's, took, he's been at Lyft, which went public. Exactly, dude. You normally hire a CFO who's This is what you do, bro. Bilal, you know the drill, man. Like, yeah. You bring in super talented CFOs when you're ready to hit the big leagues, right? And uh, But, man, but you guys people, the, people lost the their shit. What was the reaction, Bilal? Tell yeah, I mean, people kind of lost their shit. I'm, well, I mean, I won't say people is a broad thing to say, but there were, there was one camp which would say, okay, cool, you're open sea and like you're in this web free world and you're just going to do the same old thing instead of embracing kind of like the tokenized version of this, which could be an equivalent. So we talked about this on the pod recently, like the ENS guys, they just basically gave part ownership of the protocol network to um, all the users and they just dropped, you know, a bunch of ENS tokens in in our MetaMask wallets or, or MetaMask wallets. Um, so I think the kind of meme was when OpenSea token, right? Like people yeah. were waiting for that. Oh, people, right. You know what I mean? Okay. So that's why everyone's spent like... Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands in some cases on, on transaction <laughs> fees on OpenSea. Literally, yeah. So people are like, okay, well... Like what you're just going to basically do the same thing again. This is all speculation. They didn't actually say right. directly. But and the then ethos, I think the ethos, the ethos right? exactly. And then after he came out and and clarified uh, in as a reaction to what had happened and said to clarify, um, I don't have it in front of me, but from what I remember, basically saying we haven't decided to go public, and in the future, if we do do something like this, we would, um, you know, embrace. The kind of web free ethos or something like that so you know it, it to me without following it closely it felt a little bit reactionary and like people are getting on your on your ass and he's just like okay we need to sort this out but again who knows i mean it's i mean you could also say they need a cfo who just is very competent which i'm sure he yeah, is totally right. and maybe we don't know maybe this dude is like super into this world for ages and he wants to like start the next revolution and maybe he so so we don't know his intentions or the company's intentions but pretty interesting but it all speaks i think the the summary of everything that jack talked about decentralized brands starting from this is just the idea is like there's just this tension right it's like the ethos of crypto is decentralization but so many tea leaves are pointing towards recentralization right and like the parties that have uh, ultimate control we'll see and there's a sliding scale too right like because because OpenSea, yeah, there's a sliding scale. Like there's a core team. It's not like everything is going to be run by a DAO with 20 people in it. And they're just running these like billion dollar, you know, websites. In some cases they will, but there's obviously going to be a sliding scale. Like if so, you were to do, I don't know, like a, a Domino's pizza DAO, like how, what would be the, that is going to be completely decentralized. If any, Let the people decide. If any what genius idea, Fortune 100 CFOs are interested in Domino's DAO, just send us, you can find us on Just comment on this video right now. Guys, we're incorporated. We haven't figured out a lot of like the nuts and bolts yet, but okay, hold on. I think we also buried the lead here. Jack, you did the thing, you did a... Uh, permissionless piece of art for Adidas. This is correct. Can you speak yes. through that well, piece yeah, of I'm going to share it as well. For Adidas, like just based on... Yeah, the... Bilal, can you share that? 
their yeah. entry into the metaverse in inverted commas for those aren't listening uh, okay so you did this piece of art uh it's called uh, uh you, it was a spin on wag me uh yeah, we're gonna so make for, it yeah right? which is the let me just share the screen so people who are watching on youtube can see this so this is it and you did this man you did this in like 20 minutes but like as the, I, or something like that right like as soon as it was announced i just saw you make this straight away and yeah incredible so for people that aren't watching uh, they're only listening it's the adidas logo that looks like a w in place of the w so um wow. and then you turn this into nft and when we were on the podcast last week you basically said this is going to be an experiment and you're going to see like are they going to embrace this or are they are you going to get a letter in the post or someone right. knocking yeah. on the door you yeah. know what i mean so what what happened since the last time we spoke so auction went well. I started the minimum reserve and then we got some action. Um, also, I think it's like these moment in times, like the the most successful NFT was that NFTs explained, which was yeah. like right at the middle of the hype cycle of like people seeing these like crazy NFT sales in the headlines and then trying to go on Twitter to figure it out and just hit at the perfect time. This is obviously an event news. Same reason we just talked about that punk thing. That's my intention with that last thing is like to... I think that's a really interesting application of NFTs is like capturing a moment in time because so much of the art is about recording provenance and origin and time. Put it on chain. Exactly. Check the chain is that will this, will you look back in 10 years if this space, you know, continues to accelerate at the rate it is, Adidas could be credited with like these one of the first brands to jump into this space and yeah like you say check the chain it was december 2021 while everyone else was kind of like had their head in the sand calling it a complete waste of time um yeah and then um i'm not even sure how much i can say about it but uh somebody affiliated with adidas bought the nft so okay. yeah well i'm it, this is all public so i'm not making any of this up or no. sharing anything private the auction settled and it was g money nft was the username and i think g money was one of the people that they had collaborated with or something one of like the characters that, right? in that metaverse announcement yeah how exactly. many so, ETH? how many ETH? 17 17 ETH, which is like 70 g's which is incredible so i mean man just what a, like what a story Two no, minutes like, of work. It's a major brand. Two minutes of work, man. What does that work on? Thirty-three like? years that? of work. Son, I keep having to repeat this. <laughs> Jack, be pulled, as well. Jack be pulled out the Picasso story, left, right, and center. Right? He just yeah. has. If for the listeners that don't know the Picasso story, and uh, Jack j it references it, uh, uh, I get probably seconds every time he referenced it because I always say, "Hey, it took you a minute of work." But so Picasso is sitting at a table in Paris, I believe. He's having a coffee, enjoying himself. And then a young uh, tourist comes up to him, a female tourist, probably from America, an ignorant American, as the European joke always goes. And she's like, oh, my God, you're Pablo Picasso, right? Uh, can you draw me something? And then Picasso apparently draws like something on a napkin and uh, gives it to her. She's like, please let me pay you for that. He's like, no, 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 just, just fucking take the napkins and scram. <laughs> and then Picasso's like, no. She demands to pay Picasso for this thing he drew on a napkin. And apparently he says something to the effect of, uh, okay, whatever, $10,000. And then she says, wait, $10,000? It took you a minute to do. And then 
uh, echoing what uh, Jack said, and uh, Picasso says, "No, that took me like sixty-six years and a minute to do." So there you go. There's a story, right? That's the you one. You don't see the work. You don't see the work. What's the other one, Jack? One of your one of my favorite visualized value ones you've done is I'm going to butcher the the words, but it's like, uh, like you're charging for like a hundred dollars. You're charging oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. one dollar value. Price yeah, yeah, yeah. value, that's so it. So it's okay. an invoice. There's two lines on the invoice. The so, first line says, turn in a screw, $1. The second line says, knowing which screw to turn, $9,999. Oh, my that's, God. That's my favorite. Yeah. Oh, and how much I'm is that sure, I'm for? sharing the screen. There we go. I think it wasn't it. much. I mean, it was it was a way, it was a way back. Is, this, that, is that showing, that's yeah? That's the one, yeah. Oh, need this, dude, I need this framed amazing. on my wall, mate. <laughs> everybody dude. does, man. Everybody does. And we talked about this yesterday. I don't know how deep we'll go into this, but the next project that we're going to talk about, like it, it pissed some people off because of how simple it looks. And a lot of people equate how much they're getting paid with how much time it took them to complete a very specific task. Like you're trying to value artwork by like how many, how many hours of labor went into it. It's, that's like a very old way to think about this stuff, right? It's obviously we're in a economy that doesn't and hasn't worked that way for a very yeah. long time. And art you- specifically has been like that. I mean, it's not like so I was having a conversation with someone um, last week as well, who's kind of, you know, works in technology, but kind of has been like, he's getting older, you know, like we all are. And he would start talking about NFTs, but this guy on the side like illustrates and draws he's like a real you know he's got a real creative flair which is amazing but he just he's looking at the traditional nfts he's like yeah they, i just don't think they have they just don't look good and i'm like well no there's plenty that look great you just might not have seen them and if, it's fine if it's not to your taste but like again who defines what taste is right and like who defines uh, what uh, you know how good something is just because you took three months to draw this on a piece of paper doesn't mean it's worth three months worth of labor yeah so um it's the same sort of idea here. Well, let's get, let, let's give the people a very tangible example. If you, if uh, any of our listeners or watchers are sports fans, right? I mean, I'll ask you guys, you guys know those goalies they bring in during shootouts. They don't do anything the entire game. They're specialists. They're there yeah. for the penalty kicks, right? And the, you, you get that in basketball. Some guy will make $10 million a year just to be a three point shooter. But in game seven of the NBA finals, they're going <laughs> to stick him in that corner and he's going to earn his check. Yeah. He's going to earn his check. Right. It's like, you don't see the work that goes on. I mean, Ray Allen's the best example. Like Ray Allen, actually that's not true. Cause he, he's a starter for or the six man from Miami. He played a ton, but like you have these examples all the time. Uh, well, I'll give one. This is probably, we can go to a tangent about apocalypse. Now the uh, Francis Ford Copeland movie about Vietnam, but Marlon Brando, <laughs> Marlon Brando showed up on set. Three, weighing 300 pounds. He's 80 pounds overweight. He demanded something like a million dollars a day or something insane. The movie is filmed in the mid-70s, right? He's demanding a million dollars a day to be in the movie or $100,000 a day. Just something insane, right? He shows up for two weeks, doesn't read the lines, just, just shows up and does his thing. But guess what? You're going to pay for that, right? You're paying for Marlon Brando. You're paying for overweight Marlon Brando for a million dollars a day just because he's freaking Marlon Brando, right? Like, he's not going to give you what you think per on an hourly basis is going to be worth it. But, man, we could do a whole thing about Apocalypse now. That is the most insane story about creating that uh, film. The last, the last thing I'll add just quickly is Francis Ford Coppola, 
after making Godfather 1 and 2, so arguably two of the greatest five movies ever, he, he took every dollar he had, mortgaged his house, and went to make Apocalypse Now about the Vietnam War. And he filmed it in the Philippines. And it was just the most insane production, movie production ever, which is why, in my opinion, it's the greatest movie ever. But I bring that all up to make the point. Marlon Brando, you're paying, even though it doesn't feel like he's working a lot. Well, the, the way I always look at it, Trung, is like even for me in my own kind of like evolution from employee to, you know, doing another job, moving along and then doing self-employed, doing podcasts, all that stuff. There was always kind of like three phases of of like moving. The first was like, oh, I'm going to learn my skills, learn my trade. I'm going to get paid for, straight up my time. Second stage, I'm going to get paid for an output that isn't just tied to me being at desk all day and then third which i'm not fully on uh, but i'm like halfway there is stuff working for me while i'm not yep. completely there right so that's just the three like if you're interested in entrepreneurship that's normally the kind of phases totally but and and it, but the same thing applies in this world right like people are still equating like effort with value and it's not the same thing so stage four is 69 million percent apy <laughs> yeah I skipped. I skipped to that stage yeah. already. So no, I, we, I won the game, basically. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, uh, we last episode cracked me. I was re listening to Bilal uh, talking about his DeFi journey. And he's like, guys, oh I can't God. recommend anything because because uh, <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I don't want anyone losing their shirts before the holidays. All right. <laughs> For real. I'm not gonna, yeah. No, but Bilal's like, I'm not going to say anything. I got a couple bucks on Olympus down, a couple of forks, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, I mean, man. it's all public. People can track uh, some of the experiments oh, I've got on, funny, on, on, on the chain. All right, but boys, this brings up the. This was a perfect segue into some of the stuff that Jack's been working on, the character NFTs. Um, Jack, I'm going to share my screen, and I have. I don't know anything about this apart from you posting it, and some people are losing their shit. So um, let me oh, just yeah. pull this up. While <laughs> this you, is a good one too. And did, did you finish what you were talking about before? Before we move on, was there yeah, I think we got. Thought? I think we got it covered. All right, cool. Let's share the screen again. So again, for people listening, click through to YouTube, hit like and subscribe, since you're there, and then uh, yeah. Jack, take it away. <laughs> this is characters on foundation. All right, so he. So I think we got a good little bit of context with that last thing we talked about. So obviously, rampant hyper speculation in this world of. NFT avatars, right? Characters, yeah. little cartoon characters on the blockchain. So I'm like, what can I do here to make a bit of a commentary <laughs> on the world of digital avatars with programmed rarity, right? So if you scroll up to the top, that is the rarity distribution of words in the Oxford English Dictionary, of letters, sorry, in the Oxford English Dictionary. Is that the letter E? People love the letter E? E, e is used more commonly than any other letter than whatever that is on the, that's probably R and then A on the left-hand side here, right? Okay. So here's oh, what right. I did. So like the biggest bar is E and that yeah, is the, the rarest common, one. The most There's common. 26 bars. There's 26 bars. Correct. Got it, got it, got it. So then I'm in the 26 NFTs of the 26 characters in the alphabet and then priced them <laughs> in order of their rarity. So E was the cheapest because it's the most common. E started at 0.1 Ethereum. So 24-hour auction, if you bid on E, you get, get it for 0.1 Ethereum. Auction finished at 1.5 Ethereum. But throughout the whole um, 
alphabet was 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4. And I think Q is the least common, and that's priced at 2.6, I believe. Yes. Not sold yet. Okay. Not sold yet. But I think we're about halfway through at the moment. We got maybe 11 left. Yeah. So 11 collectors. 26 and you're, you're about to make, and you've already, you're, 18, you're close to six <laughs> figures on this project. Close. It's about 80 grand. So this is why people are pissed. <laughs> well, it's the same people. Yeah, gone. Well, this, I sent this to you guys privately, but there's a tweet that didn't tag me personally, but was like, I just found this on foundation. I, you know, to uh, the implication was this is bullshit that people are paying for this, right? And, and it was trend. It was trending on Foundation because I saw if you go on Foundation's homepage when you shared it, I went on the homepage and there were a few of yours that were trending on there. So they yeah, probably yeah, found yeah. it. So there. people discover it. Foundation hats off. Love Foundation. And by the way, that um, the other reason I did that is because Foundation launched this this collection feature, which disintermediates Foundation as a platform if you want. So it lets oh. artists create their own smart contracts. So that. That, co that collection of 26 is the first, um, that's the first like visualized value wallet minted collection. Everything else is on a foundation smart contract. So this is, I could go on OpenSea and sell this directly on OpenSea if I wanted, or you can list it on foundation, but you'll pay their auction fees if you do that. But you get discoverability in return for that. I've got like a network effect on foundation. So it still makes sense for me to sell on foundation. So that's another reason to the point I was making before, if this feature has shipped, I want to be one of the first people to think of an idea to use that feature Provenance. so you can go back in time and say, I, I want to look at this stuff myself too, right? Go, but this stuff could have not sold. It's, that's also part of the art, made the price part of the idea. Yeah. So if it sat there unsold, it says something by itself, right? People have evaluated that this is not worth that amount of money, which I would be fine with. That's the part of the art, part of the experiment. Um, check the chain. People yeah, check so the that's, chain. That's, um, I think we're going somewhere else before I mentioned the collection feature, but I lost my trail of thought. Well, oh, yeah, the, the, the individuals done. that lob some criticism. Sorry about that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, so I found this thread on Twitter that was like, oh, my God, I've just found this thing. Like, it makes me want to give up, right? And a lot of these people have been like, artists on deviant art or whatever else for a long time and their, their work is they spend a long time doing like whether it's like you know on procreate on the ipad they do these really incredibly detailed illustrations um a lot of it's like very specific aesthetic and i'm not saying there's not a market for it but it's it's again it's like trying to just trying to extrapolate the value of something just based on the format it's presented in or like to compare it to something where there is no real comparison to me is really an interesting uh an well, interesting way to look at it and it goes back to what we're talking about price and value it's like the amount of time you spent on something is not what the market values it at right well it, it just so happens jack that you have a graphic so, you know, telling people directly, if they feel like quitting, you, you have a suggestion <laughs> for them, right? You have a recommendation for them. I'm trying to pull it up right now. Keep but, going. Uh, this is, Keep going, Jack, yeah. is this your most famous uh, uh, visual? I would say probably, yeah. Jack's graphic, which is just a bar graph. And it just says at one point, this is pointless. 
and then it goes up and to the right. So that's there's a few things you in. have to do in those in those those <laughs> next couple of bars. But yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but, the, but this is like I, I know we're going to do a different episode on this, the Raul Powell um, podcast with um, Robert Breedlove. Breedlove. Yeah. And I kind of listened to this and had this experience at the same time and started to really appreciate this idea of like how network effects are drastically driving results in, you know, in different directions and power laws exist in all of these places. And like really like part of the art, well, part of the art is building the network too. Like that's a really yeah. like the, this, the, if you want to be an internet artist, then part of the job description, if you can call it that is to like maintain the network that supports the work. It's not enough to and be native to that upload it. Right. Be native to that new platform. And by the way, I put, I've just found uh, the visual just for people who haven't seen it before. This is pointless. You guys see that? Yeah. Just see it is. This is part of, yeah, this is one of my favorite things as people well. Have had, um, people have tattooed that on themselves. Let, let's unpack that a little bit. So I'm just trying to process some of the things you said. I, I think what was really interesting to hear you describe is obviously knowing you, everything's very thoughtful, right? And what I think gets mistaken with a lot of people is they just see A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and they don't know who Jack is. They don't know your previous work, your history. The same way I don't know about Pablo Picasso's history, the way Trung probably does, because he's <laughs> I, a history geek. I don't, geek. man. I'd be pretty annoyed <laughs> if he 10 Gs for if, that. No, you know yeah, it's Picasso, yeah. right? No, yeah, but you know what I mean? It's like the, the history, of course, like another example, the Mona Lisa, maybe you could say if it's a beautiful painting or whatever, it, that's up for discussion. But the person who made that and the historical context and who that person was and capturing a moment in time, as you described, is a part of the art. The reason it's worth X yeah. amount of money. It's not just because something looks good. Obviously, there's intrinsic and extrinsic value. So similar to what you just described, I didn't hear you say this before until just now, which was this was the first time there's a new feature that allows collections. It's the yeah. first time I've used that and come up with a creative idea. And of course, we get it because we know you and we know that you're a very creative thinker. For some random person on the internet, that's probably like struggling with their artwork that mm -hmm. they've been working on forever. I can understand. Yeah, it looks, their, yeah. Understand I, I completely what, empathize with it. Completely. But I guess the, it kind of brings back the the overall point, which is, like that's not really going to necessarily get you anywhere, right? Like it's you know, like I, it's understandable for people to feel like that. But if you want to kind of win in this new era, you need to learn about the tools of the trade. The same way yep. a comedian in 2010, like saw Andrew Schultz, I've talked about him before, and said, "Why is this dude putting his stuff on the internet for free?" Because even today, most comedians see like going to the comedy club as their job. Yeah. Not, they don't necessarily think about how they're going to get eyeballs on their work. Yep. And they just follow the old playbook. But now there's a whole generation of TikTokers and actual real comedians who are, who are building their brand online. So I'd say the same for you in this case, obviously knowing your work really well. You are a creative person who's really thoughtful about this stuff. Um, but I also understand like, you know, someone's, you know, yeah, feeling it, man. pretty down about it. it. And you know, you know what else is it? I think... Um this might be, I'm not going to credit whoever came up with this, but the idea of the Web 2000 true fans mental model. Yeah. Like the Web 3 version of that is like, you need 10 patrons, basically, right? Like if there are people who are like 
interested in supporting your work and like outnumber your economic standing a hundred to one, then they can like that can really right. change someone's life. And you're not like in a web two business model, it's not like, hey, I'm gonna auction off, build once, sell twice to the highest bidder. Like the market is it the outcome is determined by my like market savviness and economic understanding and competition. Whereas art has like way more price elasticity than those things, right? So at the high end, it gets crazy. Like there are, I think we talked about X copy on the podcast before, you know, Kazomo Medici, don't know if yeah. we did much on him, but he bought an X copy piece for 7 million bucks last night. And that was like talk of <laughs> NFT Twitter. The, Jack's the, face, I mean, uh, Trunk's face. The piece is called <laughs> right click save as guy. You know, for the criticism that most NFT yeah, artists NFT. get and uh, made in, I think, 2000, probably early 2020 or 2019. If I've got that wrong, correct me in the comments. But like way before these thousands, tens of thousands of collectors are experiencing that thing, which I think is not, is more evidence for that thesis of like the people who are documenting this, this uh, culture as it comes into being are really succeeding. And um, just another anecdotal thing, you guys know Pepe the Frog, right? Yeah. So you go on the foundation homepage now, you see people just like doing Pepe the Frog artwork. So it's like this meme that is such a big part of crypto culture, like if you're a traditional artist, like that's, I, you can kind of see people getting strategic and getting a foothold and getting into people's collections by working on the types of things that they would commission. Does that make uh, sense? Yeah, that's smart. So you do it you do it knowing that this individual might just buy it. Yeah, like you start to and you know, I think that's an, again for a lot of artists that don't want to compromise or, or don't want the market to inform their work, they struggle with that and like that's the thing we've talked about this a lot is like the web3, the tokenization, the financialization of every asset is like there are a few people that like have the luxury of just operating completely outside what the rest of the market is doing. And like for that reason, they succeed. And other people are like, you have to run in tight feedback loops with the market, uh, at least when you're getting started to basically keep the, keep the uh, train on the tracks. You know, has a good point. Uh, uh, Harry Stebbings, the podcaster VC that raised a massive $200 million fund, like a solo VC fund. He, he tweeted something, uh, uh, I think last month he's like people don't understand is like creating the product is like 20% of the, the goal you're going to spend way more time doing distribution right it's like you can create that thing and the feeling is and yeah I get it man it, it feels icky to promote yourself I get that instinct right it's like oh my god you gotta promote this thing and like, I just want to keep making cool stuff but the you're going to have no audience right <laughs> you got nobody to look at your cool stuff if you're not like aggressively promoting it it's weird, Especially man. as a traditional creative person or as an artist, like that, yeah. you used to see that tension in web one, web two of technical people and like promoters, Great like salespeople, yeah. marketing people. And the technical people, there was this thing, like if they build it, they will come. Yeah. They, oh, if it's nah, good son. enough, people will find it. And that it's like, no, 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 no. And that <laughs> changed. And now we're seeing it in this world in a different way as well. Yeah. I think it's like, ultimately it's human behavior. It's like, there's... There are things that change on a techno technological level, but what it, I guess what it tends to do is just accelerate the outcomes or just like amplify 
the tendencies of people in a lot of ways. And obviously there are arguments to the contrary. And a lot of them, I wrote maybe like semi-controversial tweet thread about this this week around like, you know, your favorite VC isn't necessarily like talking about the future of Web3 because it's like the perfect vision of the world. It's because like their exit, your exit liquidity for them, right? (laughs) Yeah. And you can get in and out of a position on Uniswap in five seconds versus like having a lockup and all of this other stuff. That's way deeper of a discussion, but um, there are like lines blur in that world. And there are definitely people operating ethically and definitely people operating unethically. Yeah. All right. Good discussion, boys. Uh, Look, I think we're going to have to move the Virgil Dow stuff to next week. So if you're interested in that, listen out for that next week. It's a good discussion on that. Um, But let's wrap up with Apple in China. This was a story that came out um, like last week by the time you're hearing this. Um, And let me just read out what Mike Sington said. I don't know who Mike Sington is, but he said, bombshell report, Tim Cook negotiated a secret five-year $275 billion deal with the Chinese government to exempt Apple from Chinese regulations in exchange for Apple helping China develop its technology sector. That same technology sector that spies on and hacks the US. I'm not trying to get us cancelled. And (laughs) as we always say, we don't want to get demonetized before we get monetized. But Trung, you're going to break it down for us. What the hell is going on there? All right. So this is this is a fascinating story. I know you got nine minutes or something. Keep it super tight. A couple of things I want to tease out. Top level is this. So think about the time that that deal was signed. So Tim Cook signed his deal in 2016. So you remember the relationship between U.S. and China was very different then. This is uh, right around Trump was elected November 2016. So Tim Cook signs this deal, very different time. Having said that, uh, people had suspected and there were parts of the U.S. national security apparatus were like, you know, China is going to be our competition for the next following decades. And uh, there's an understanding. But at the time, 2016, Tim Cook obviously decided to move forward with this deal, which is insane uh, in in terms of its size. So $275 billion commitment into China in terms of building, uh, I think the stuff they've done, they've built renewable plants, they've built R&D centers, they've brought iCloud servers into China. The trade-off is obvious, right? Is like for Apple, they manufacture so much in China, you don't want to lose that supply chain. But there's also a lot of benefit on China's side because Apple is the perfect example of what happens if you can come to an accommodation with the Chinese government in the sense that we will help you with top-tier manufacturing and the ability to deliver hundreds of millions of iPhones, right? Which is the top consumer hardware product. So on the Chinese side, it's like, look, if Apple can come to uh, uh, some type of accommodation and agreement with us, this is the benefit that happens. And what's interesting about Apple was for a long time, the Chinese government had almost no leverage on uh, Apple as a company. And this is interesting. It comes from our uh, off reference, Ben Thompson, tech analyst. So Bilal used to work at Google. Google left China in around 2010. It was around censorship of search results. Facebook also left China because China didn't want to have an, a, a, a foreign social network running rampant in its country. So WeChat is obviously a dominant uh, thing there in terms of social. But what's different about Apple is this. Apple's phone, iPhone specifically, was a sign of 
prosperity and luxury in China, right? So whereas China could cut off Google and Facebook with their digital firewall, they literally said, you can't operate here. They actually couldn't do the same with the iPhone because A, Apple manufacturing was uh, providing so many jobs in the country. And the second part was the Chinese consumer wanted the iPhone and they couldn't actually get a replacement. Like a Samsung Galaxy is not the same as an iPhone, right? In terms of its perception in the market. So a, a pure software play could be canceled by the Chinese government. A pure hardware play, just say your Dell or IBM selling laptops, you can get cut off by a commodity provider in China also. But Apple fuses, as we've talked about, hardware and software into a luxury item. So they were actually very difficult for the Chinese government to get kicked to kick out of the country. But they found a leverage point. And the leverage point was the App Store. Because in 2016, they blocked uh, uh, Apple uh, iMovies and iBooks from the App Store in China. So Apple now, which for a long time was a luxury good that China could do nothing uh, with in terms of blocking, now they're like, you know what? We're going to block Apple Pay, iBooks, uh, iMovies, and the, your phone, which a lot of benefit is the integration of software and hardware, is no longer going to have the software element, right? So they found a point of leverage and they squeezed them in 2016. And that's when this deal was struck. And uh, at the time, one of the big headlines was Apple invest a billion dollars into DD, which was the Uber competitor. At the time, everybody's like, this is absurd. Why would Apple ever do this deal? It makes no sense. But as it turns out, and a lot of people guessed at the time, it was part of this like, you know, like we're going to rub your back if you allow us to continue operating there and, and, and being successful for both sides. So that's kind of the story is like 2016 was when uh, China found a leverage against Apple, which for a long time they didn't have any uh, because it wasn't a pure software play like Google or Facebook. And then uh, Tim Cook agreed to cut this massive deal. His relationship with China goes back decades. He was a supply chain guy when Steve Jobs brought him in. And the the, the kind of last points I'll add is like, it's it doesn't look good for Apple at all, especially with how much China-US trade war tensions have risen. And uh, somebody wrote a, a, a tweet, I can't remember who it was, but basically said to the effect of like, you know, Tim Cook now is like, he's like a lobbyist for China. He's like, because he... I mean, Tim Cook has lobbied on behalf of Apple. He's like, I don't want the U.S. government putting tariffs on Chinese, uh, uh, you know, uh, certain types of components because it'll hurt our business, right? So, like, they're enthralled. And, like, that's obviously not a great look if you have this very negative perception of China, which many in the U.S. government do. Uh, uh, the last part I'll add to that, and we can wrap it up, is uh, in a way, though, uh, Apple and China does kind of, uh, lighten the possibility of something like a full-on war happening. Like companies like Apple and companies like Taiwan uh, manufacturing, some kind of manufacturing, they basically show like, okay, if we go to war, like you're going to kneecap trillions of dollars in market cap in the economy, right? So like Apple is kind of like, even though they may look compromised to a lot of people, and I, I guess they kind of are, if you're spending $275 billion in the country and they're a huge consumer market and you need them for supplies, they also could potentially be a way to move towards maybe potentially a peaceful resolution because they'll be like, you know what? We're so important to both economies. Like, how can we make this work, right? Like, they're one of the few that it's in the interest to make it work. So that's kind of the situation. And it was huge news, both basically from the number. It was not known how big the number was. People knew that Apple was making concessions, but the number was just mind-blowing. That's wild. 
Yeah, I mean, the last question I have, thanks for explaining that, Trunk. The question I have for you to close it out is, how does this like kind of play out longer term, do you think? Because as China obviously gets more power in the world and the biggest companies in the world have been coming from the US, like, how does this play out? Because there's, uh, I don't know how how they can kind of both keep going on like that without totally. something blowing up, essentially. Well, I think I think Apple has demonstrated that China's willing to make exceptions for Apple. Like when the US government put uh, tariffs and embargoes on equipment to Huawei, the telecom operator, which had a massive smartphone business. So they, the US government destroyed Huawei's smartphone business, like completely wiped them out. But Apple didn't receive any retaliation from the Chinese government. So like they, they had a move, right? China could have just banned Apple iPhones, but they didn't want to because of the benefit that the Chinese economy gets from having Apple as an employer. And also, I mean, this is kind of the part that you mentioned but on the original tweet. I mean, Apple's transferring technology, right? They're transferring know-how. And that that is a that I mean that is a negative from looking from a national security standpoint. So how does it play out? Man, you're talking about a three trillion dollar company. I mean, that's bigger than Canada as a as a company, right? Uh, or, or close to it. And uh they're a country. Apple's a country. So if you're asking, you know, how does it play out? And I have, dude, I, I'll play the peace card. I think there's an element on the peace side to it, but yeah, it's, it's too yeah, that's hard interesting. to tell, man. That's crazy. That number on Apple is mad, man. I think you shared a, a funny tweet about this and I shared it in the DMs as well about oh. how much Apple's increase in value over the last oh, year dude. is like more than 470 of the Fortune 500 yeah, companies combined or something like that, or S&P 500. It's, so, it's, uh, it's absurd. It's insane. All right, boys, I know we got to cut out soon, uh, but thanks for sharing that, Trunk. I know we got, um, yeah, that, that was really jam-packed already. So hope you guys enjoyed that one. And we've got more coming for you uh, over the Christmas uh, break. I know everyone's kind of traveling. People are going to see their families, including us. Uh, so we'll definitely try our best to sneak in a few episodes for you. Make sure you're in our Telegram group for the latest stuff there. And uh, like and subscribe the video on YouTube. And uh, let us know what you think of this in the comments below. And uh, we will see you next next week. <laughs>